This is the Serial of Midnight Podcast, episode two. Hello and welcome to the Serial and Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland and I am your host. This is the official podcast of SerialAtMidnight.com and the Serial and Midnight YouTube channel. Each week we delve into some pop culture topic, movies, television, cartoons, comics. This week I've got scary movies on the brain, specifically the work of John Carpenter. For my YouTube channel, every year I try to do something uh, with a series that I've created called The Icons of Horror. It's a video series where I just spotlight my favorites, basically, but but truly iconic uh, personalities or subjects in horror. So there's an episode about the universal monsters. There's this, uh, an episode about slashers. There's one about uh, hammer horror. But I wanted to do one about John Carpenter because he's one of my favorite directors, uh, probably my, definitely my favorite horror director. John Carpenter's career is so interesting. And it's not just horror. We're also talking about Escape from New York, which kind of feels like a horror movie. We're talking about some of his more comedic work, um, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which is definitely more comedic. Uh, he's an interesting director that has definitely put a stamp on everything that we love. Uh, you see it influenced in the movies of today, even Stranger Things. Without John Carpenter... Does it exist? So to do an Icons of Horror podcast about John Carpenter, I wanted to reach out to my fellow film fan, Jeff from Films at Home, to talk about John Carpenter. We both love the man. We both love the movies. So without further ado, let's roll right into it. This is my conversation with Jeff from Films at Home about John Carpenter, the icon of horror. I love John Carpenter. Um, He's probably a top three director for me. Um, maybe sometimes I, I call him my number one just because of the diversity of the kinds of movies. I mean, you look at that, there was a streak, you know, it's like Halloween all the way through the late, like they live is maybe the end of the streak for me. Um, but different, like escape from New York. These are all different kinds of movies, but he's a master at what he did. So I wanted to spotlight John Carpenter, maybe kind of an icons of horror, even though he didn't just do horror, but yep. I know you love John Carpenter too, right? Oh yeah, I was. I think he's he's top two or three, and like you said, maybe in October when I'm feeling spooky, he's number one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he easily. I mean, I have all the posters up. I love the thing. Halloween's my favorite horror movie of all time, and everything that that created. You know, he literally kind of created a genre almost. Um, he, you know, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, like you name it, Assault on Precinct 13, like he can do those types of things and then make these awesome horror movies as well. So yeah, I mean, he's just like one of the most well-rounded, I mean, he does the music, he, I mean, just everything, he's just a genius. So yeah, I mean, I I love him. I, uh, I would love to meet him someday because I just want to like, give me like five minutes with him. I once, I emailed his assistant once and that was the closest I ever got to him. So I need to see him in person someday. Did you get anything back? What was like, were you trying to get an interview or what? Um, yeah, it was, it, this was like early on in YouTube. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like shoot my shot and see what happens. And like his assistant actually responded and was like, look, he's John Carpenter. Like he's not going to do an interview <laughs> with you. I mean, who knows now? It may, I mean, maybe but he's he's a pretty like it feels like he's a pretty quiet guy um but the assistant did let me send some stuff and he signed it for me so um a funko pop of michael myers he signed on the head the thing poster that's behind me he signed and he signed my uh 
35th anniversary Halloween Blu-ray. So nice. he's pretty cool about that. Like he's definitely good with his fans, which was awesome. Yeah. You have to imagine that he's probably been asked everything that's yeah. ever possible to be asked. Sometimes I th- when I interview people, I try to do the interview that they've never had before. But with some of these guys, they've been asked every like from like, what's your favorite <laughs> breakfast to, you know, like, like, what kind of music do you like? He's going to be like, well, you know, what are your musical influences? Um, so it's it's tough with some of these guys, but he has so much like one of the things that I love about John Carpenter is that he is. he comes across as a little bit of a curmudgeon and like whatever he's thinking he's probably going to say it and so you you look at like they live so that's the that's the movie of a man who has kind of been burned out on the hollywood system you know he's like you know franchises and like hey what just product man which is going to lead into an interesting conversation you are going to have later about just like monetizing franchises but, you know, so he, I mean, he's no stranger to franchises. So there's a, he did, you know, there's a Halloween has continued to go on. He did two escape movies. You got escape from New York and escape from LA. Um, but he just kind of says what he thinks. And if he's got a beef with somebody, he kind of talks about it, <laughs> but I love that thing poster behind you, because for me, I think maybe the thing is the best. I, I don't know. It's, it's like whatever Carpenter movie you're watching is the one that I'm like, you know, like if I, oh no, no, this is the best. When I like, I think Halloween is a perfect movie. Yeah. But the thing is so chilling, and it's such, it's got such great practical effects. It's got characters that you really care about, or if you don't care about them, you're at least invested in what's going on. Right. You're invested in the mystery. Um, it may be a perfect movie. Uh, and I know you probably agree since you have the poster up on your wall. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think. <sighs> Halloween will be my favorite because like you said it's perfect but like the thing is is right there and yeah I mean and just in terms of like production value and the way it's shot and the effects like those are head and shoulders above what Halloween did with the budget he was working with on that so Mm -hmm. I mean yeah it's almost like this is John Carpenter at his peak with a budget with a with a property that he loves too because he loved the original the thing i mean he put it in halloween which is one of the coolest like little easter eggs that you know he would go on and make his own version a couple years later um so yeah i mean everything about that when i watched it for the first time only having seen at that point i think i'd only seen halloween and maybe escape from new york and people were like well you got to watch the thing and this is like i'm in high school i mean blown away like still stands up there with stuff today with you know all of the cgi that they have and all the stuff they can do in computers i would take the thing any day over all that it's just much more engaging it is more chilling the practical effects are like top like still top notch 40 years later so i have a teenager and she's pretty um like you know she she likes the 80s because of stranger things and and stuff like that but she's also like practical effects are stupid because they never look good they always look really fake and i was like well you should watch the thing and she was like ah what's that i haven't heard of that and i was like because we were having a conversation about i don't even remember we were having a conversation about digital effects but i can't remember what the movie was that led into the conversation she was like she's like i can always tell when it's cgi but i like cgi more than i like practical i was like well maybe you just haven't seen it done well so she's at the age now she's in high school so we were like we can show you an r-rated movie like parental guidance suggested we're here (laughs) And so we showed her the thing and she was really like riveted and like, you know, there's that scene 
where the the bodies on the table. I mean, hopefully this is not a spoiler for anybody. Well, I mean, watch the thing if you haven't seen it. It's been forty years. I think yeah, you're clear. you've had time. Um, where the head kind of detaches and like walks off the table. You know that it's an amazing effect. And uh, she, it, it the thing won her over for that kind of practical. She's like, oh, I've never seen anything like this before because it's just it's gross too. Like it's just like everything's wet and like covered yeah. in covered in like KY jelly and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Carpenter movies have a very specific kind of special effects and they're just amazing. They're just amazing. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's why they hold up too, is like this new generation that is so like obsessed with the nostalgia of the eighties is going to find his movies and love them because I mean, there's so many stranger things is influenced by so many different movies and ET and Spielberg, but also Carpenter and all kinds of stuff in the eighties. But like, that that recent season there were a lot of practical effects Mm -hmm. especially with the main villain there and like i I just loved the way that looked i don't even think people realized they were practical effects because you just assume they're not i didn't until i saw some behind the scenes and so i think there's going to be a newfound appreciation the more you look at bad cgi in a lot of movies Mm -hmm. even high profile high budget movies and you can go back and really appreciate like what people had to work with in the 70s and 80s and how creative they got and how realistic they could make things look based on you know not the greatest technology i mean these guys like you said it's like ky jelly and ketchup and vaseline and like i mean it's they were not working with high-tech materials here um but that's what made yeah the thing that scene and thing when with the dogs the transformation of the i mean incredible um and there's other movies like that from that time period that do that well but like the thing stands above all of them i think um not only from practical effects but just like the performances the tension throughout the whole thing the whole sort of you don't know who the bad guy is at any given time there's sort of that a little bit like halloween like we're not going to just throw michael myers in front of you the whole movie we're not going to tell you who the thing is or which person it's in or which animal it's in at this time so there's that like jaws ambiguity of where is the bad guy which i always think makes it better um yeah it's just a i mean it's a masterpiece it'll hold it'll be 40 years from now people will still be watching that and enjoying it it's not going to go out of date like some other stuff will yeah when you brought up jaws and i think it's we should mention too that you know a lot of these things were necessity you you don't show your monster because you can't right you can't just have, you know, you, you got to keep it kind of a secret because there's limitations to what you can do and what you can show. And right. those benefit the end result. I think they, they really, um, you, you're, you know, it's the Hitchcock thing. Like your imagination can come up with so much more than what they can actually show you. And I don't want to be the old man now who's like, get off my lawn. But with a movie where you can do anything you want to do, where you can just like really use CGI to explore the furthest reaches of your mind. Um, I feel like that the sense of mystery or maybe the sense of wonder or even the sense of surprise is kind of lost because not always but often um because when you can do anything you often do do anything and with cgi yeah. being as, as affordable it is not that it's dirt cheap but i mean we and and we see as you say like we see the effects of some of these um so it's not as good you know it's they're cranking this stuff out these houses are like all day every day cranking yeah. out effects and it's not some of it's not great but um, I don't know. There's something about practical. There's pra- there's bad practical effects too. But these John oh, yeah. Carpenter movies really have a. I don't know. You know what? The, a movie that um, I've recently, within the last five years or so, really come to love is The Fog. John Carpenter's The Fog. 
Um, I used, I don't know if I thought it was maybe kind of goofy or I don't know what I thought about it, but about five years ago, it really just smacked me in the face. And I was like, wait a minute, this movie is amazing. (laughs) Um, The way that it unfolds. And then even the, it's basically like a pirate curse, you know, like pirate treasure curse is kind of the plot of the movie in this like lighthouse Bay town. And uh, he gets so much mileage out of that. And the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's not a ton of special effects there, but they do some cool things. And even like the glowing red eyes, like I like all of that stuff. What do you think about the fog? Yeah, no, I, I really, I see, I forget that one is even done by him sometimes that like slips with it. Cause he has such a good run there Yeah, for some reason that one slips, but you're right. I watched it recently, um, while the 4k release came out. So I, I watched that uh, a couple years ago. I mean, I first, I love full car i don't know if that's my number one but it's up there um just being from new england and like all just the you know g- give me a witch story give me some mm-hmm. creepy you know salem witch trials all just the creepy woods of new england and the lighthouse and the bay town and you know the the shit the curse like all that stuff i i eat up so yeah i mean i love that movie it's not it's not maybe like the most frightening of his movies but it's just really well put together it tells a great story and it does have those moments you're right like the eyes like the the little pieces that he does and he plays with um you know practical effects or some really cool special effects those stand out because there isn't so much of it what do you what is your the most frightening is it the thing or do you have another more frightening because this that's tricky because yeah well the thing with his movies is like they're not overly there's not a ton of like jump scares there isn't it's just kind of like constant dread in Mm -hmm. some of these like the thing you're just on edge the whole time halloween you're just on edge the whole time um and you don't have that over the top gore which sort of i think almost like you'd kind of mentioned earlier like almost desensitizes people in a way where when you know now that michael myers can just stomp on somebody's face and cave their head in versus there's literally no blood in the first halloween movie like there's no actual violence really on screen there's no gore it's all in your head which does make it scarier so i mean that one's that one's definitely up there um i have to the have thing, you ever seen prince of darkness yeah prince of darkness is pretty creepy too um i don't know i'm so partial to halloween because i just love i just love how dark it is and it's probably not intentional it's like we didn't have a budget so yeah. everything is just super dark and in the shadows and that whole that whole vibe it just screams fall and horror to me so um but yeah i mean prince of darkness is great too donald pleasant's you know amazing <laughs> anything i i was sold on him after halloween of course he did like 12 more of them but he's so good in other stuff that people don't realize because he sort of became pigeonholed into that later in his career um, but yeah prince of darkness is a great one um i'm trying to think he hasn't done much recently this is why we need to make a com- stopped around he needs to make a comeback well i saw an interview and he said he's like thinking about stuff and like if the right thing happened he would do it he just hasn't felt like making a movie basically yeah um yeah prince of darkness though is a lot of fun and i think that's also underrated again people forget about that in this run that he had it's usually like they live the thing halloween Mm -hmm. and then some of his action stuff you know the kurt russell movies yeah i've got the imdb page open here we should so he does memoirs of an invisible man which is a very different thing 
Yeah. Uh, but then body bags in the mouth of madness, village of the damned escape from LA. I want to talk about vampires, John Carpenter's vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I still don't know how I feel about vampires <laughs> because I like the idea, but it, and it is a John Carpenter movie, but this is like John Carpenter now or not now, but I guess it was around the millennium ghosts of Mars. You know, those have a very distinct, almost like, it's almost like industrial techno feel or something. And it's so different from the John Carpenter that I love and that I know it's, it's not the Halloween John Carpenter and right. <laughs> James Woods in vampires must say the word Padre like 36 times during the movie. He's like, I don't know about that Padre. It's like play the drinking game where you take a shot every time he says Padre. Yeah. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's still good. I, I, I'm I'm over, as I'm recording this, I'm like, I should revisit Vampires because I got it around here somewhere. Yeah, um, that's one I haven't seen in a long time, but it was sort of at the end, the end of his, well, I guess the end of his run, period. I mean, he hasn't made yeah. a movie since, what, 2005? Uh, 2010 was The Ward, I believe. Let me double oh, check. The, yeah, The Ward I knew was The Ward was the last one. That was 2010. I thought it was earlier. But yeah, I mean, the, the 90s... <laughs> It was a 90s movie, for sure. Like, it was, I think, Carpenter, and I think, like, the 80s and the synth scores and the, you know, that sort of vibe, that Stranger Things vibe that everybody loves now. And I don't know. I mean, I don't think they're bad movies that he made, but, like, I think he maybe had a hard time adapting to, like, the way that the the movies were changing, the way that styles were changing, um, the way things were being shot. Like, I think it was just, like, out of his wheelhouse a little bit and he was trying to keep up but i mean yeah some of them were pretty goofy um early 90s not so bad not so bad but as he got later on it he starts to lose me a little bit they're not necessarily bad movies but they're just not what i think of they wouldn't crack like even a top 10 list for him well this is the thing that tarantino talks about where every director only has a certain amount of good movies in him before and and i don't like i don't want to think that that's true but it kind of seems true yeah um and i don't know we could probably argue both ways but it it, with a director like carpenter who's so rooted in the specific thing that he helped create and even Mm -hmm. the non-horror stuff like we should talk about assault on precinct 13 because that's an amazing film with it's essentially a western but yeah. It doesn't feel like a Western. It's just got the motifs, you know, themes and the, the, it unfolds like it was like on the page. It's a Western. Um, and he's channeling his, oh, there's so many directions I want to go here. So th- these guys grew up with the movies of the fifties and then they're making their own movies in the seventies. And it's that's, you know, their influences filtered through them and they create this thing. But then when time continues to move on, it changes, you know, that that like we were talking about, the 90s movies do feel different. Well, the later 90s movies especially feel very different from what were that core period that we're talking about here. Christine, we haven't mentioned Christine. We should. Um, can't it, like if he does make another movie and I hope he does. I think these guys like Joe Dante is another one that I really want to see mm. working. But yeah, like Dante says he just can't get financing to make the movies that he wants to make because they don't. I mean, if Scorsese can't get funding for some of his I stuff, I, what hope is there for, you know, some of these horror guys? But um, I, there's something I'd like being influenced by, your, you know, you have your influences and you've got this window where you're channeling those into something else. I think that's very interesting. And mm-hmm. that might be that might be it is you've got 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I don't know. Um, 
there does seem to be something to the statement that you can, you know, you've said what you had to say, and then there's really nothing else to do. Like Carpenter, like, well, I don't really want to make any more movies. And I know he had a, as we know, like from they, they live, but he didn't, he got really frustrated with the system. Yeah. Um, and the system that he was frustrated with is even worse now than it was, you know, 12 years ago. Um, I don't, I don't know where I want to go with that thought, but do you have anything you want to add anything to that? Oh, no, I think I do think you're right, though. I mean, I think he just got he got burnt out and everything became so commercial that it, it just wasn't for him. And I, I've even seen like recent interviews where he'll they'll ask him about like the new Halloween movies and he'll sort of be like, I mean, he, he just isn't. <laughs> He did the music for them like he worked with them but like he just really it just really feels like he doesn't care like they asked him like well how'd you come up with the music did you did you do the music first or did you watch the movie he was like i mean like you say he's kind of a curmudgeon he was like well i, I just made the music that fits with the movie and like that was his whole answer and it's like mm -hmm. okay you know he's just kind of not thrilled he kind of just likes to do his own thing and it just doesn't seem they asked him if he was coming back and he was like i don't think you know maybe if the exact right thing presented itself which it probably won't because it's yeah. not you know but it's it's hard to have a run that long from late 70s killed the 80s even early 90s was still you know he that's where the decline began but still making really fun movies i mean i like body bags i like in mouth in the mouth of madness i think is set in new hampshire so mm -hmm. another one that's like more new england kind of folk horror um and he just i think they just kind of pushed him out but it's funny because now people are definitely the, the tides have turned where it's like he was influenced by the 50s made movies in the 70s and 80s and now the people who are making movies were influenced by the 70s and 80s and john Carver. So now you're seeing his stuff come back so it's almost like eventually if you last long enough in hollywood you can make it full circle and then have like a late career resurgence where they like, I guess, you know, Scorsese kind of was doing this with uh, bringing back his mob movies recently um, and doing the Irishman where it's like, I'm going to have this little resurgence where I go back to the thing that made me popular because it's become popular again. And people are asking me for it where I've, I've had to focus on other things to be successful in the past. So I think like now's the time for like a John Carpenter, a Joe Dante to come back in because that that nostalgia is huge. It's not just Stranger Things, but it's like there's other um, even stuff like House on Haunted Hill and like stuff Mike Flanagan's doing. Like that's not typical horror that had been coming out over the last decade. He's changed that game. Um, so like now's the time for them to come back. I think they'd have success and even you know the teenagers who go to the movies we've talked about this before that's who that's who's buying tickets yeah i think they'd buy tickets to this stuff because it is sort of right in that wheelhouse they kids are obsessed with that decade right now mm -hmm. the 80s and 90s are just like the biggest pop culture thing right now so i'd love to see them come back but it is hard i mean it's unless you're making a comic book movie or some other big franchise like halloween um where are you getting the financing for an independent original horror or even action or body horror or folk horror? Like it's, you've got A24 and like who else? Like they might give you some distribution, but that's about it. Yeah.
maybe bloom house the the halloween thing that's right but yeah it's risky i mean that's what it comes down to is it's risky and it's too risky for a lot of people because i don't know you separate i I don't even know we don't know we just don't know because nobody's really doing it i mean we do get the a24 movies but nobody's making like a carpenter-esque you know really just going all on these were new ideas now like like the thing was a uh, it's his version of the thing from another world, which is an amazing movie, by the way. If people haven't seen that movie, I would highly yeah. recommend. Uh, what makes me sad sometimes, and I, I fight this, so I, I don't see a lot of this with my channel, but I do see sometimes people are like, you know, fifties. Ew. Yeah. Um. That's the movies that made the people that we love. Yeah. You know, that's that's what they would. That's their bread and butter, and all these shock theater, uh, these horror movies from Universal, and you know everything that was coming on, you know, Saturday night at midnight or whatever. That's what made these guys. And uh, the thing from another world is a lot of fun, but you present that, you know, to a studio now it's going to be Disney Warner brothers or universal, I guess is who it's going to be. You really got like three options. Um, And they're going to go, this is, I don't know about this. Like what's the budget for this? What's the return on this going to be? And without that big name attached to it, I just don't know what the, it's such a strange world for movies now where everything is so focus grouped and researched, you know, like what's the algorithm tell us about now I say that I should also mention, you know, I'm watching, uh, I'm going back and doing a lot of universal horror movies um, this, this Halloween season. And some of the, what you find out is like these guys in the thirties knew, okay, well, if we've got Boris Karloff and if we've got, you know, like Lou Landers directing, and if we've got this theme, uh, we're going to do this much box office. Like they had yeah. it down to a formula and Karloff would give go like, can we change this, the plot? We've done this plot five times. They'd be like, no, this is what's safe. So it was not, it's not new. It's always kind yeah. of been like this, but um, 70s and 80s and into the 90s, there was this brief window where yeah, I, I guess over a decade is not brief, but there was this brief time when you could make these crazy movies with super ambitious special effects with synth scores and we revere these things now but i don't know that they could get done today um you did mention music and we should talk about like he's he does tours now like he i think that's what he wants to do he just kind of wants to be a rock star now that's what it sounds like in his interviews he really enjoys the music especially he's doing it with his son um and there's there's one other guy there there's a trio of them that did the now I'm going to have to look this up. There's a trio that d- did all the uh, new Halloween movies and have mm-hmm. been creating music. Um, but I know it's him and his son, Cody. And then there's there's one other guy. And yeah, they're like, he's loving just like the <laughs> the touring musician life. Because I think honestly, you know, he he's obviously a great director and he loves movies. But I feel like sometimes he almost made movies to make music for them. Because the music yeah. is is what's so iconic and like, he created these awesome movies around them, but you sort of remember the themes and the theme music first. You know, when somebody says Halloween, if you play those couple notes on a keyboard, it's like, that's Halloween. I think that's even more recognizable to most people than if you put a Michael Myers mask or Laurie Strode in front of them. They would be like, oh, well, I know that music. That's from some horror movie I can't remember, but I know the music. So yeah. I do think he's sort of musician at heart in kind of, um fell into making movies and obviously <laughs> didn't just fall into it did an incredible job but made them so that he could score them in a lot of ways and i think that's even why the new halloween movies like he wasn't getting involved as a producer he didn't want to write them he didn't want to direct them but he was like you know let me do the music for sure 
and he did these awesome new you know new wave kind of halloween themes which i think i think they were great i mean they were the mm -hmm. best some of the best parts of those movies yeah so yeah no i think you're right that's what i've been hearing from him in interviews and that's what i've been seeing and god i'd love to see it in person <laughs> i'm trying to I'm, I'm keeping an eye on when he when he comes around because just i mean just two hours of that stuff would be incredible with the the footage behind him yeah. on a big screen that's amazing yeah. yeah it would just be i mean it's there's very few composers musicians who you know do things for movies that you could even name you know there's john williams there's john carpenter there's um what's the, uh, the guy from nine inch nails now who does a lot of stuff like there's Grant not Rosner. many yeah i mean there's just not many hans zimmer like he's in that tier of just like all-time great so yeah the, yeah a concert like that would be that's like bucket list stuff for me yeah, me too. I've got some of his music on, uh, you know, he put out an album. There's like an anthology album. I just, there was a new, uh, who put this out? It was, um, oh, I cannot, was it, it was Rust Blade Records, uh, basically like an Italian uh, record label put out this album of like remixes of John Carpenter stuff. Uh, cool. It's on vinyl and all kinds of stuff. Is the, is the composer, the other composer you're thinking about, Daniel A. Davies, or it may be pronounced Davis. He's the third composer for the Halloween Ends um, soundtrack. Yeah, no, yeah, I think that's right um but um what was i gonna say oh no I, I lost my point it was about music um oh th like he's making like scores and even the stuff from the new halloween movies like the scores aren't really a thing anymore you know like the marvel movies have a score and you know uh but like actual themes are kind of rare these days now we're, we're mostly just in the land of tones and like bass yeah. drops and stuff like that or um, literally just remixes of contemporary like everybody does that with their trailers now they take a popular song and they slow it down and like that becomes the theme yeah so yeah it's it's just not he's still doing original composing music which is rare these days yeah we get the one piano note the one yeah. piano note soundtrack or we get like a ukulele version of something <laughs> yeah that's pretty right exactly yeah. i mean even yeah even like one of the more famous ones recently was like jordan peels for the movie us we just played i've got five on it and just slowed it down and made it creepy like that became the theme for the movie but it's like okay somebody just kind of yeah. played it at half speed like <laughs> was there you know i guess somebody had to do it and put it all together but like it is just a contemporary song whereas for each of the new halloween movies he created a completely original score for the whole movie which is incredible and it, yeah. it is it's the best part of the movie and what this tells me is that we're kind of ripe for for whatever this is like we yeah. it seems like like everybody's ready for it for for whatever something new could be you know like a new getting back to i think we're seeing comic book movie fatigue i think we're seeing mm -hmm. franchise fatigue um where are the new exciting risky movies like john carpenter used to make um yeah i think i mean we're even getting fatigue from that like elevated horror that that a24 does which yeah I, you know i love it they're beautifully shot movies and there's some great ones there's some that kind of stink but it's like maybe you know maybe james wan's trying to do it because malignant was surely out there and totally different and it looks like this new movie i don't know if you've seen the trailer i think it's called megan where she, there's the girl's like an android and teams up with this other girl and then goes on sort of a it looks like a killer rampage 
but she's also like just dancing the whole time and like being like that malignant vibe where it's like totally out of left field but also like this terrifying creature is just <laughs> killing every like that it feels like it is almost coming back and the elevated horror is almost too much for people it's like all right two hours of you know dramatic shots and the slow music and you know mm-hmm. it's it's nice to look at once but we want some kind of like hard-hitting fast moving give me an hour and a half of chaos which yeah. is what you used to get so that that's you know that's gremlins that's that's the thing that's you know it, it is it's ripe for somebody to come in here and just take take over just dominate the genre for a little bit Mm -hmm. whether it's action movies i mean i think we're ripe for those too i mean when's the last time we had a tango and cash or a con air or you know something that was just straight up just hard-hitting action for an hour and a half that was just goofy with catchphrases and explosions and like where is that doesn't exist anymore and you come out with a smile on your face and you want to talk about it yeah right like you enjoy it yes is it going to win an oscar no, Nicolas Cage is not going to win an Oscar for Con Air, but like, give me that. That movie is fun over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Assault on Precinct 13 is fun over and over again. Big Trouble in Little China is still one of my favorite movies ever. It's so much fun. Like, yeah, they're just, they're just gone. I think the world needs them. We've had enough sort of bleak, yeah, dreary, even the superhero movies. And I like the DC stuff, but it's like, my God, can somebody turn the lights on and we can just smile for a little bit because this stuff is always so dark. Yeah, for real. It's it's It feels like life and death and we're so angry, yeah. but our movies should be an escape from, from that anger. It should give us, yeah. you know, it should be an escape and we need that. Um, this sounds, this is a good place to wind it down. Uh, I'm going to, you get any recommendations for people that might be hearing this conversation? Um, and I'm not, I don't want to put you on the spot, but like I- it's Okay, do it. I think they live uh, needs to be revisited because it's a fun horror movie. It's kind of what we're talking about, but it's also very satirical while also being uh, pretty transparent about a man who's just kind of done. It was a four year break after they live before John Carpenter's next theatrical movie. Uh, I did a commentary with it for serial at midnight, the YouTube channel and Mm -hmm. uh, did it with Josh Jabkuga, the the writer. He's a a comic book writer. He also works for AEW now, the wrestling company. And we really talked about you go through that movie and like it is fun but it's also more relevant than ever before Mm. because we are so consumer based now it's just like bye 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 you know uh it it had our number decades ago and it just becomes more and more relevant so i think if people haven't seen that one check it out and i also want i'm going through the imdb page here i also think that maybe it's worth checking out uh like John Carpenter's Vampires is one that I'm not hearing many people talk about these days. It's a later John Carpenter, and uh, I'm curious what people think about that one. What do you got any? Yeah, um, I mean, I was going to say that you took the words out of my mouth on They Live, which like it lit. No, it literally is like more relevant now than it even was when that came out. And that was I mean, it was extremely relevant then, but like the consumerism and, you know, and i'm a marketing guy so like i get this like the digital mark the ads that follow you everywhere you go on your phone and your tv and your computer it's like you can't get away from this stuff sometimes so definitely would check that out again revisit that um in the mouth of madness is one i really do like and it's developed sort of a cult following but i think it could go further i think people need to watch that again because it was ahead of its time 
And I think it does tie in. If you like that A24, that full core that's sort of become popular, that's a good one to go back to um, and have some fun with. Um, I mean, it's got Sam. Um, oh my God, why am I blanking on his name? Neil, Sam Neil, um, who is awesome in it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like the biggest critical success, but that one, I'll always plug Big Trouble in Little China because it always surprises me how many people haven't seen that. And like, it is, and I think maybe it's just people my age and it's 30 years old now and like, but don't miss that because I slept on it for way too long. Um, And then one that I guess, I always plug this one if people say they like Carpenter, it's not a Carpenter movie, but I would check out The Void, which was a horror movie that came out a few years ago because that is, I think that's the closest thing I've seen to a, a truly John Carpenter 80s, The Thing type movie since The Thing, um, at least recently. Like that one, that one was a lot of fun and definitely was a throwback. So if you guys haven't seen that and you enjoy Carpenter, that's one to check out. Do you think we're talking about 80s horror and it just occurred to me, you're younger than me. You're, you're, are you 30? You're around 30. I'm going to be um, 30 in three weeks. He's going to blast it all over the internet. We're going to give your home address out and we're going to put out your date of birth and your driver's license. Here's my social. Yeah. Um, But no, so you have a different perspective on this than I do. So I'm the, I I consider myself an eighties kid and all this stuff, stranger things is made by eighties kids. Do Mm -hmm. you think that there's a nineties kid horror thing coming where it's going to be in the mouth of madness that's influencing things? Or do you think it's kind of specific to the eighties? No, I I think, I think that will come back because if I think about the movies, See, I missed the 80s. I'm born 92. So it's, I know I have basically the whole 90s there and, you know, the early 2000s. I think of Scream. I think of, I know what you did last summer. Um, You know, that type of movie, Urban Legend, Mm -hmm. like Final Destination, even there towards the end, the Saw movies. And then it started getting into sort of this, that that as, as I got older, it started hitting that real like gore torture porn type stuff but in the in the 90s and early 2000s there was this really it was all the and and it's not just horror movies it was like yeah you inserted horror into this movie but like you could have taken it out and just had like can't hardly wait or like american pie and like if you just inserted a killer into those it's like oh that would have been scream because it's like they're all so those characters are all so similar and i do think that sort of as people my age you know, I think a lot of people don't get started making movies until they're into their 30s or their 40s. It's a hard, hard thing to break into. Um, but I think even like with the Scream reboot and, um, you know, some of the other stuff that's that's come out recently, there's the the Adams Family show that's coming. Um, you know, even movies like X and Pearl, which are, they're throwbacks, but they're also sort of got that same like we got this cast of characters who are in this sort of unique situation i don't know it it feels like it's coming back and i think in the next you know as we go through this decade into the 2020s i think you'll see that resurgence where even even stranger things is like sort of sliding into that They're, they're kind of getting into the 90s out of the 80s you're starting to see those influences so um yeah i mean i'm hopeful for it we'll see like i'd like to see a fresh take on them and i don't know how you do that but i think it's inevitable it's like every s- separate 30 years 
And that's when you start to see. So in the 2010s, you're going to see the 80s come back in a big way. In the 2020s, you'll see the 90s come back. Just like in the 80s, we saw the 50s come back. Like it's just sort of that's the that's the cycle, I think, yeah. even back to the 30s with universal horror. And then you got those 50s and 60s movies, which were definitely influenced by it. So I fully expect it. Um, there's there's somebody sitting out there. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'll come up with the next great one. Um, but somebody out there my age has got these things and they're like, man, I really want to make like a scream or I know what you did last summer type of movie. And I'm sure they're working on it and they'll hit. I think they'll hit eventually because people like me will go nuts for them. I would. I love that. Too. Urban legend is I love urban legend. And I feel it's like so it's so fun. People don't talk about it enough, but it's yeah. yeah. It's a ton of there's so many like that in that time period that just got I don't know they just got forgotten and there's a lot of like 90s like coming of age stuff like can't hardly wait definitely doesn't get as much love as it should I love that movie everyone thinks American Pie but like that one I think it's better that's you know, it I, is better it's definitely yeah. better yeah like, but like American Pie is the the cultural phenomenon but that movie can't hardly wait was a ton of fun so yeah I think that type of thing even that type of comedy too like. Mm-hmm. Austin Powers like that's what I grew up on it was Austin Powers it was real goofy Dana Carvey Mike Myers like I could see that coming back like not every comedy has to be so serious either every comedy has some underlying theme or like can we just create like a goofy character and just have some great character actor go and kill that role because those are fun to watch like they need to put a smile on my face there's too many movies that I leave feeling disturbed or more depressed than when i walked in or just like damn it that hits too close to home like i'd like that's the thing i'd like some comedy now is mean and it's like that's my joke is like comedy now is like look at this a-hole it's it's like really aggressive and you know like judgy and it's not silly and when uh, i see when people do make things that are silly people are like this is too silly and i'm like but that's what we need don't you understand we need silly comedy we do now more than ever well i think we solved all the world's problems uh with this conversation i need to start listening send this send this straight up i will email the un this podcast okay (laughs) and that will (laughs) everything will be fixed I was thinking of heads of studios, but you're going even higher. It's just straight to the UN. That's a good idea. I'm going, yeah. I'll send one to the deep state too, so we can really get things done. All right, man, that's good. <laughs> tell people, like, I, I think, I'm, I'm sure everybody knows where you're at, but tell people what's going on with you, plug your channel, plug the podcast, plug everything. Yeah, so um, you can find me everywhere. Films at home, it's on, you know, primary channels, YouTube, but I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on TikTok, I'm, you know, everywhere that the world expects me to be i think and uh yeah youtube's the big one i just i just recently moved so the youtube channel had a bit of like a a month-long break while i did all this work behind me if you're watching on video this this whole room took me about a month to set up but i'm back now so i've got 4k reviews over there videos on physical media um going to be doing some more home video history uh like video essays which i have a lot of fun doing and bringing back the podcast in the next couple of weeks sometime probably first week in november um we'll have the podcast back for like season two i've already recorded the first episode i've got a couple of guests lined up for the first couple episodes and we'll see you know who i can get after that full transparency i'm kind of just doing this by the seat of my pants here but 
I find people and interview them, you know, one week ahead of when you guys listen to them. Um, but yeah, it's all coming back. So we're going to really ramp it up this fall and into the winter and lots of good content. Anybody who says that they're not flying by the seat of their pants is lying. That's yeah. what we're all doing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm doing what I can with the free time I have. And I mean, you know, you've got a kid, I've got a kid. It's like, yeah, that free time is precious. Very you show your kid the thing like i showed my kid the thing and <laughs> he just turned he just turned one so i mean it would be visually interesting for him yeah i'm sure he'd enjoy the colors and things he's actually he's funny he's a little bit desensitized i think because Uh-oh. i walk yeah i mean he comes down in the basement and i've got michael myers and freddie busts up on and he kind of looks at him and points at him and laughs and i'm like oh no <laughs> i'm like here's <laughs> future jeffrey dahmer who's laughing at michael myers but we'll, we'll just you know we'll teach him right from wrong and tell him you know these are fantasy we just enjoy these we don't act on them yeah but yeah it's funny i can't wait to show that stuff to him he'll watch jaws before he's like six or seven that's only Good. pg so i can get away with it i think that's about when we did it for for my in my family i think it was about six or seven when we that's when it. i saw it yep and it made a it made a big impression too it did but like I wasn't scared, which was good. Yeah. I saw, I saw it on the Cape and went to the beach after I watched it. Like we were in the water. So <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I, it, it didn't affect me, but it did create this, you know, definitely created a love for movies. It was that and King Kong. Those were the two VHS tapes my grandfather had down at the, the 1933 King Kong and Jaws. I watched those nonstop. So that's wonderful. Do yeah. you, one of the things I forgot about when I showed Jaws to my daughter was that that scene where Quint, gets killed and it's just like this is so gory i was like oh i didn't think about that yeah just eaten in half when the head pops out of the boat that's a good one too yeah yep yeah there's a couple moments that are i mean even the poor kid getting eaten on the raft i mean that is a yeah a brutal thing to watch as a kid but yeah you know hey thanks a lot spielberg yeah hey that's the reality i mean he goes in the water in the cape now the sharks are there they weren't there when i was a kid so It's even scarier now than it was back then. Well, there you have it. That is the Icons of Horror John Carpenter conversation with Jeff from Films at Home. What are your favorite John Carpenter movies? What do you think about this conversation? Where would you recommend people jumping in? I think it's hard to top Halloween, especially this time of the year. But the man has done so much with his movies, with his music, with the aesthetic that influences everything from Stranger Things to new theatrical movies, new directors that are coming into the scene every day. He is truly a giant. He is an icon of horror, which is why I wanted to talk about him. Uh, Join the conversation. If you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment. Please thumbs up this video. Please subscribe. If you're listening via podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. Those are the best things that you can do for a podcaster is to rate, review, and subscribe. Each of those individually is great, but together they're unstoppable. By your powers combined, I am Captain Podcaster. That was a Captain Planet reference. I told you guys there'd be cartoon references. We talk about cartoons here. Uh, so really though, by supporting your, your, your talent, I want you to tell people about this podcast. I want you to spread the word. We're brand new. And you know, there are 1107 billion podcasts <laughs> each day. It's not even weekly. It's each day. Uh, the podcast playing field is just absolutely packed. So anything you can do to support this show 
would be much appreciated. Head over to serialatmidnight.com so you never miss a post, you never miss a review. Uh, that's really the best place to find Serial at Midnight content because it's a hub for the videos, it's a hub for the reviews. Uh, I'm currently, for October, I've been writing a review series about the 30s and 40s Universal Horror Movie Catalog. Not necessarily the monster movies because those always get a lot of attention every Halloween season, but uh, Screen Factory has been releasing, well, they I think they're finished now, but there was a six-volume set of Universal Horror Movies um, that uh, don't have monsters in the movies like The Invisible Ray, like The Black Cat, The Raven, uh, Bella Lugosi, Boris Karloff, Lionel Atwill, guys like that. And it's not just Universal movies. They've also, it's also things that Universal owns as well. So Universal owns a big chunk of those early, the early Paramount catalog. Um, here's a fun fact and a sidebar, if you will. In the uh, early days of TV, in the late 50s, uh, Universal purchased about 700, it's actually a little over 700 Paramount movies for their TV packages. You know, we talk about um, the monster kids of the late 50s and the 60s. They came into these movies via shock theater packages. You know, they were often uh, Universal movies, but they would come on, you know, late at night. There was usually a horror host. You know, I'm thinking, you know, Svengoolie is a great example of what we're talking about, but there's Zachary, there's Vampire, there's so many, there's so many different, uh, you know, Elvira as well uh, in, in later days. But uh, these are the movies that created a lot of monster fans, and I wanted review representation for them up at serialatmidnight.com. So that's what I'm doing in October. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, I'm having such a good time, and October is going fast, so I'll probably continue it beyond that. But if you're not hitting up serialandmidnight.com every single day, Jack, you're missing stuff, and I don't want you to miss anything. So you can email the show, serialmidnight at gmail.com. That's right. There's no, whoever got that email address, the serial at midnight email address at gmail, they're getting a lot of my mail, but I didn't, by the time I got there, uh, it's serialmidnight at gmail.com. So please spread the word. And again, thumbs up, subscribe, comment, rate, whatever platform you're watching this on. Engagement is the, well, I was going to say engagements is the word. Grease is the word, but engagements is the best thing that you can do. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode, the second voyage of the, of, of the good ship cereal at midnight. Uh, stay tuned. We've got more exciting conversations to come in the future. Until next time, I will catch you later.